Modern life. Between careers, kids, and health, it can be mayhem. That's why we're here. I'm Dr. Lisa Varghese-Kroll. And I'm Dr. Lonre Falusi. We're physicians, moms, and longtime friends who break it all down for you. Wondering how to juggle all the balls and still stay sane? Looking for advice but don't want to be overwhelmed? Curious about how to make the most out of life for your family but enjoy it at the same time? You're in the right place. Welcome to Health and Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. Today, we're talking about something that can make you healthier and wealthier, meal planning and lunch packing. So how can making a weekly menu actually affect your health? Where do you start if you've never done it before? What's the best way to make a fun school lunch? And how do you keep it all interesting so that you can stick with it for the long run? In this episode, we've got all that and more. Hey, Lise. Hey, Lon. We are both excited about this one. <laughs> That's because it's about eating. We're, mm-hmm. we're both excited about anything having to do with eating. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> you know, when I first lived on my own, I was living with you because as our longtime listeners will know, we were college roommates and I pretty much subsisted on whatever the dining hall was serving, mm-hmm. food my mom and dad sent back to school with me and whatever ready-made meal was on sale at our, our little grocery store down the street. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I was basically the same. <laughs> and we had our you know sacred shelf of Nutella. <laughs> Ah, memories. (laughs) And that setup continued through medical school because we were roommates again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then in residency, I felt like I was too busy to think about meals and menu planning. It wasn't, honestly, it wasn't until really I became a parent that Mm. I realized that committing to meal planning actually saves me time. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's right. That's right. And if you're busy, you might actually need to meal plan even more than anyone, right? Um, (laughs) Not only does it save you time, but it saves you money and can save your health. So these are these are lofty claims we're making. (laughs) So, Lonre, what do we have to back it up? Well, first of all, let's define what meal planning is. So it's the act of planning your and or your family's meals in advance, usually a week at a time. Uh, but some people do it as much as a month at a time. And then you grocery shop with that specific plan in mind. So sure, that sounds organized, but you know why would a habit like meal planning improve your health? Well, one of the biggest reasons is that if you have the makings of a meal or a healthy snack ready and waiting for you in your fridge, you're less likely to then eat out or to order in. And restaurant food, as yummy as it is, in general, it tends to be higher in calories and fat and sodium than home-cooked food. Studies have actually shown that people consistently consume more calories eating out than at home without even realizing it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll link to one of those studies in our show notes on HippocraticHost.com. So that means cooking your own food can lower your risk of obesity, hypertension, and even stroke. And, you know, meal planning also allows you to control the quality of your ingredients. Mm -hmm. You're much more likely to eat meals made with food that's organic or freshly picked or unprocessed if you chose those items yourself. Yeah, and meal planning also helps you avoid skipping meals. So if you're someone who gets overwhelmed by an empty fridge and instead of trying to find something to like (laughs) cobble together, you'd rather just not eat at all. Having a plan ready in place ensures that that never happens. 
That's right. And there are other huge benefits to meal planning as well. If you're eating in more than you're eating out, you're saving money. Restaurant meals are marked up significantly more than the price of their ingredients. A meal made at home can be 25% or less of the cost of that same meal in a restaurant. Like, we all see this at Starbucks, right? Mm -hmm. A a cup of coffee at home, depending on what you add to it, costs maybe a quarter to make, Mm -hmm. but it would easily be $5 minimum at a coffee shop. And listen, part of life, we know, is enjoying the experience of going out for coffee or going out for dinner. So we're not knocking it completely. But you will have far more money in your pocket if you make those experiences a special treat instead of a daily habit. Buying food to make yourself also means that you can buy things that are on sale or use coupons and you get to keep the savings. Yeah, and packing lunches has the same benefit. You know, it allows you to eat healthier, to avoid skipping lunch, and again, to save money. Um, If you buy lunch at school or at work every day, even if it costs only like $4 a day, which is a pretty low estimate Mm -hmm. in many parts of North America, even just that amount would save you almost $20 a week or $1,000 a year to pack your lunch instead, since the, the cost of ingredients from the grocery store is comparatively pretty tiny. Okay, so, all right. I'll buy it. (laughs) Meal planning and packing lunches, they might save us calories and money, but they sound complicated or at least time consuming. How do they Mm -hmm. save us time? Well, we're here to help you out with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think one of the main things that's like really daunting to people is when they want to start cooking more at home, it's the thought of like trying to come up with ideas for breakfast and lunch and dinner every single day. You know, but meal planning eliminates all that daily decision making. So that can be overwhelming, you know, because the ingredients, if you're meal planning, your ingredients are all waiting for you. And in some cases, the meals are already made and you don't have to spend any time after a long day deciding, you know, what to make or driving out to a takeout place and waiting for your order. The hour or two that you devote to meal planning on the weekend is more than made up for throughout the week, especially if you choose recipes that require a minimum of hands-on time. And, you know, the truth is that meal planning can also be good for our environment by cutting down on waste. The USDA estimates that 30 to 40 percent of the food supply in the United States is wasted. And we'll link to uh, an FAQ on food waste in our show notes at HippocraticHost.com. Now, that figure is horrifying when we think of all the people who don't have enough to eat and all the resources used to grow and transport and store all that wasted food. Yeah, and, you know, by buying ingredients we know we'll need instead of impulse buying whatever looks good at the store and then watching it languish at home, (laughs) we're far more likely to use what we buy instead of watching it go bad or forgetting about it or, you know, ultimately just throwing it out. So, you know, sounds good. But if you have no experience with meal planning, it can also seem kind of overwhelming. Where do you even begin? Well, our advice is to start small. I love to cook personally, especially because my husband does the dishes. (laughs) But the reason I still love to cook after so many years of cooking for my family is because I don't have to do it every day. So here's my personal tip. Always cook double. I double every recipe I make and plan for us to eat it two nights in a row. And it usually leaves enough for someone to take for lunch one day, too. So that means that I only cook dinner three or at most four times a week. And this is a huge benefit in terms of stress. If I can switch meals around during the week so that I don't have to cook on busy evenings, it frees me up tremendously. 
And it saves on energy costs, too, if I only have to turn on my oven or stove every other day. Now, this approach does mean that you have to embrace leftovers. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I find that if something's really good, we kind of get sad if we only get to eat it for one night and then it's gone. (laughs) So true. I think that's brilliant. So how do you actually do that? So you start by planning, let's say, just three dinners a week. Plan on just doing like a protein-rich cereal for breakfast and sandwiches or soup for lunch for now so that you can focus solely on dinner at the beginning of your meal planning journey. Over the weekend or during a time when you have a quiet hour, choose the dinners you want to make. They can be recipes you already know, but it can be really fun to surf cooking blogs or flip through cookbooks or food magazines to find some new recipes to try. Choose recipes that seem approachable. You know, when you're just starting out, this is not the time to plan on making Martha Stewart's beef bourguignon after (laughs) soccer practice. I mean, unless, of course, you are Martha Stewart, in which case, hey, Martha. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And if you have food restrictions or special diets in your household, you'll want to pick recipes that fit with those as well. Ensure that each dinner includes at least a couple of servings of veggies or plan to add a salad or frozen vegetables. And then grab a pad of paper or a notebook and make a grid for the week. If you live in a rural area and you can only get to the grocery store once a month, then make a grid for the month and plan 12 dinners over four weeks. Enter in the dinners you've chosen under the days of the week when you plan to make them. If there are ingredients that are likely to spoil quickly, move that dinner closer to the beginning of the week. If there are evenings that you know you're not going to have much time, plan for those to be leftover nights. And then go through each recipe and make a shopping list of the ingredients you'll need to buy. Make sure you look through your pantry to see what other items you're low on. Add them into your list and then your shopping list is done. And if you're getting your groceries yourself and not having them delivered, the very organized among us divide (laughs) up their grocery lists by areas of the store. I actually do this because it makes it so much more efficient. And, you know, like all the dairy items on one part of the page, all frozen items on the other part of the page. So then you can get in and out of the store without having to retrace your steps for that one random item. And once you get home from the grocery store, see if there are aspects of the recipes you chose that can be prepped ahead of time. Is there a produce that could be chopped and washed so it's ready to go later in the week? Is there a sauce that could be made now and added to pasta to save time after work? Anything you can do on a day off buys you time later in the week. And similarly, don't feel bad about taking advantage of grocery store shortcuts if you have a particularly crazy week ahead. Paying a little extra for pre-chopped veggies or an already cooked rotisserie chicken can mean the difference between getting a hot meal on the table and, you know, eating Doritos for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, revel in the freedom that the week of planned meals gives you. You know, it might take a few weeks for the habit to set in, But knowing that you never have to reach that dreaded 5 p.m. witching hour when everyone's cranky and exhausted and you can't think of anything to make for dinner, that is priceless. Every parent knows that horrendous 5 p.m. hour. Do they not? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wherever in the world you live. (laughs) Right. You're either trying to hide or (laughs) you're like thankful that you've planned your meal Right. (laughs) Now, there are some people who do find that meal planning is too restrictive. They want to be able to eat whatever they're in the mood for on that particular day, not what they plan to eat when they made their list over the past weekend. So if you're one of those people, then meal planning with choices might be the right strategy for you. 
That means planning more than three dinners per week, with the extra meals being made from shelf-stable ingredients that you keep in your pantry from week to week, ready for you when you feel like it. Yeah, and you know, that's a good reminder for all of us to use up our pantry supplies. Many households have hundreds of dollars worth of food in their freezers or pantries that just sit there month after month, forgotten. So if that's you, you could make it a goal to devote one meal a week in your plan to using up those ingredients. And once this is all second nature to you, you can add in breakfast and lunch to your meal planning grid. Use the cook double tip here too, and start by just planning three breakfasts and three lunches a week. If you're like most people pre-pandemic, you or someone in your household probably spends most weekdays out of the house. With COVID restrictions lifting in many areas, many children are going back to school full-time this fall, which makes this a good time to talk about packing lunches. Great, yeah. So now if your children's school offers lunches that are both nutritious and inexpensive, then buying school lunch may be the best option for you. But that's kind of a unicorn, (laughs) right? And in many areas, that's just not the case. So, which makes bringing lunch from home a necessity. And packing school lunches can be hard even for the most seasoned parents Mm -hmm. because kids can be picky and it's a challenge to make something look appetizing when it's lukewarm (laughs) or it's been, you know, squashed inside of a backpack. Uh, So our biggest tip is to keep expectations low. For most kids, they're not with their parents at lunchtime. You want to pack items they can be reliably expected to eat so that they don't starve and they can concentrate on learning. So now is not the time to introduce them to like stinky cheese. You know, save that for family dinner. We find that bento boxes are really useful, especially for younger kids. They provide multiple compartments so you can separate the foods you send. Kids don't have to fumble with individual packages at lunchtime. And whatever doesn't get eaten comes home so you can see what was a hit and what wasn't. And they also help make sure that there's always room for servings of different food groups. Yeah, so try to aim for one main that might be a sandwich or soup in a thermos or dinner leftovers, one veggie, one fruit, a serving of milk or cheese, and if you like, a small treat. And when you're making your grocery list, get your kids involved in planning lunches for the week. Mm-hmm, I love that. I know. It makes such a difference. And, you know, many schools no longer allow peanut products, so gone are the days of lunchbox PB&Js. Mm-hmm. But what other sandwiches can you make? We'll link to a list of fun and interesting sandwich ideas from delish.com in our show notes at hippocratichost.com. Let your kids peruse that list and tell you what sounds good to them. Getting their buy-in makes them much more likely to actually eat it once they're faced with it at school. Mm-hmm. And you think outside the sandwich box, too. You know, there are tons of options for packable non-sandwich meals. We mentioned soups and leftovers, but some other ideas are pizza, English muffins, waffles, pasta salad, muffins, wraps, oatmeal, or veggies and pretzels with hummus. And there are plenty of ways to make them healthy. For example, one of my go-to lunches that my six-year-old loves is pizza made with cauliflower crust that I buy frozen and then topped with low-fat cheese, turkey pepperoni, and a vegetable like green peppers. And she actually loves to make it with me, um, which makes it, again, even more likely that she'll actually eat those green peppers. Amen. Exactly, when it's time to eat them at school. (laughs) And make it interesting by using cookie cutters to cut food into fun shapes or skewers to make fruit and cheese kebabs. 
And for food safety, always remember to use a well-sealing thermos or an insulated food container for hot food and portable ice packs for cold food. And don't forget to send plenty of water. You know, there are tons of Instagram accounts out there by parents who make their kids' school lunches into (laughs) works of art. And if that's you, more power to you. But for the rest of us, don't feel pressured to be the king or queen of creative here. The goal really is just to fill our kids' stomachs with nutrients, not to snap a magazine-worthy photo. (laughs) Once you have a few packed lunch ideas that you know your kids will eat, it's okay to just make that your rotation. Mm -hmm. Keep it simple, yeah. Um, which brings us to our next point, which is, you know, how do you keep it interesting for the long run? Like all habits, it can be easy to be gung-ho about (laughs) meal planning in the beginning, but then lose steam after a few months. So the key to sticking with meal planning is to keep it interesting. So here are a few fun ways to change it up if your dinners start to feel a little ho-hum. First, deconstruct your dinner. If you would normally serve a salad... One evening, put all the components on a big cutting board instead. That means the bowl of greens goes in one corner, shredded cheese in another, grilled chicken in another, berries or seeds in another, and then let everyone assemble their own. This is also a fun way to serve make-your-own bowls. Give everyone their own bowl of rice or noodles and set up a buffet of veggies, protein, nuts, and dressing for each person to choose from. A charcuterie board is another riff on this. Assemble a board of sliced meats, cheeses, olives, grapes, and crackers, and let everyone pick at it for an easy dinner. You can also plan theme nights. For pizza night, let everyone help with making custom pizzas and then sample everyone's creations. Some other ideas are taco night or kebab night or meatless Mondays or breakfast for dinner night. You could also pick a cuisine and do Japanese night or Ethiopian night and try all new recipes from that part of the world. Even older kids tend to look forward to these kinds of dinners, and they make really great memories. That's true. And you could also try cooking your way through a cookbook. This can be a really fun way to gain mastery of a specific cuisine, or just add new recipes to your repertoire. If there's a chef whose food you know you like, pick one of their books and work your way through it. You'll most likely find some new favorites, and the book does the meal planning for you. Yeah. I love that. Um, Also, you can go seasonal. Make an effort to plan meals that are taking advantage of the produce that's in season. So in winter, that might mean root vegetables, asparagus in the spring, berries in the summer, apples in the fall. So not only does this keep your meal ideas fresh, it's also good for the environment because, because it means out of season food doesn't have to be shipped in large trucks from distant locations. So we'll link to a guide to seasonal produce in the U.S. in our show notes. And kitchen.com, that's K-I-T-C-H-N.com, is a great online resource for meal planning and meal prepping with all sorts of pre-made meal plans and themes that can provide your planning completely or just give you some new ideas. And that brings us to our Physician Mom Hack of the Week. Meal planning is a great goal, but we all know that there are some weeks where there isn't time even for the most basic cooking. So here's a hack that has saved us during those kinds of weeks. On a day when you do have a little time, plan to make a meal in your slow cooker, doubling the recipe, of course. Throw it in the slow cooker and forget about it. 
Once it's done, let it cool, then portion it into freezer containers, label with the date, and then put them in the freezer. If you double the recipe, you now have two nights worth of dinner waiting for you during a crazy busy week. And because you used a slow cooker, it hardly involved any extra work. So you can add those meals to your meal planning grid and not need to shop for them or not need to cook them. And if you do this a couple times a month, you'll soon build up a whole store of homemade freezer meals waiting to be served whenever you need them. And your future self will be very grateful. (laughs) Here, here. (laughs) (laughs) So that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We are very grateful to you always. We would love you to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest at Hippocratic Hosts. And if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe. Remember that subscribing to podcasts is free and it alerts you whenever we release new episodes. Review us in Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about the show. Can't wait to talk to you all next time. Thanks for listening to Health at Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. Remember that all views expressed here are our own, not our employers, and all content is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice nor the establishment of a doctor-patient relationship. Always consult your own physician or healthcare team for any medical issues. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us, subscribe, and tell a friend. And check out our website at www.hippocratichosts.com for show notes on this and all our episodes. Can't wait to chat with you next time.